help. Everyone around me is a narcissist. Have you ever felt this way? You know, once you start identifying covert narcissism, and especially if it's in your marriage or with your parents, when it has infiltrated your personal life, it can just certainly seem like now it's everywhere. All of a sudden you're seeing it everywhere you look. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my friend, my coworker, my boss, my neighbor, the stranger in the store, the clerk at the gas station, the lawyer in the news. It's everywhere. And, and we want to just go screaming into the night. These random red flags that we see all around us remind us of the covert narcissist that we've been married to for years or even decades, and we want nothing to do with it. We want them all to just go away. However, not every narcissistic trait that you see around you makes that person a narcissist. Just because they are confident in who they are that doesn't make them a narcissist. As I mentioned in my episode that was, uh, I think about two weeks ago, there are some elements of narcissism that are adaptive and productive. They're useful in life. And today I want to explore that further to help you to better understand. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. I don't know if you've heard of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's called the DSM. The DSM has a list of, of nine traits that uh, I think if you score on at least five of them, then you would be cla you know, classified as a narcissist and all this. And, and diagnosing is not what I dive into. But reading these, um, you know, reading their notes and reading their information has certainly helped me to get a better grasp on what narcissism is. So they have these nine traits listed, and I'm going to just read through them real quick. One is, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. Two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high-status people. Four, requires excessive admiration. Five, has a sense of entitlement. Six, is interpersonally exploitative. Seven, lacks empathy. Eight, is often envious of others and believes that others are envious of him or her. And nine, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors and attitudes. Now, that's a lot. And, and I've broken some of this down in, in previous episodes. But I want to look at these now a little bit closer. So let's look at the first one. It has a grandiose sense of self-importance. If you take the word grandiose out of that sentence, then you have has a sense of self-importance. Well, isn't that a good thing? It's not a bad thing to believe that you are important in life. We all should have a bit of that. You know, believing that I'm important motivates me to take care of myself. It pushes me to exercise, shower, take care of my body, dress well, eat healthy and balanced, devote energy to my mental and spiritual health, to find personal benefit from the relationships I have, to tend to my own needs and simply strive to be more healthy. These are good things. So believing that, you know, having that sense of self-importance causes me to believe that, that I'm of value, that, I, that I'm valuable to this world, and then I work to become a better version of myself. Well, this is a good thing. It's, it's healthy as a human race for each of us to believe that we're important. But it's also necessary that we believe that we are equally important as everyone else. Not better than and not worse either. 
And this will benefit not only yourself, but also the immediate world around you. When the sense of self-importance is combined with the knowledge and understanding that others carry the exact same right and need for self-importance, then it is of great value to our world. It causes you to work towards being that best version of you that you can be, which helps our world. But self-importance comes with a really fine line. There is a significant difference between valuing yourself and overvaluing yourself. When the sense of self-importance goes too far, or without that understanding that others are equally important, then the sense of self-importance becomes exploiting those around you. Feeling important by taking importance away from them. I matter and you don't. Making myself bigger and others smaller. This is maladaptive narcissism. This is extremely damaging and harmful. But it's different than a healthy dose of self-importance, which can look like a narcissistic trait, but it's adaptive narcissism. Now, this creates massive confusion when you try to talk with a narcissistic person about all of this. You know, they might say to you, well, I'm supposed to value myself. I'm supposed to believe that I'm important. Everybody should. And in fact, you know, they might even say to you, you know, you should value yourself more than you do. Well, they take self-importance to mean that no one else matters as much as they do. Healthy self-importance says that I matter equally to everyone else. I matter and you matter too. Now, trying to describe that difference to a covert narcissist, I don't know about you. I tried. It'll drive you insane. Let's look at another one of the traits. Preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Now, have you ever fantasized about success, you know, or great beauty or great love? I used to daydream. I used to daydream about being a hero. You know, being in a building when a, when a bad guy came in, threatening everyone, maybe even hurting a few. And it was me who saved the day. I managed to sneak up on them and fight them off. And I was that life-saving hero. And I really enjoyed these fantasies. You know, I used to daydream about being an amazing dancer. Winning competitions, dazzling the world, catching the eye of my prince someday. And again, the, the fantasy was delightful and fun. I fantasized and still do some about being incredibly financially successful. So that it's no longer a stress for me or my loved ones. And I can focus on helping others without worrying about paying the bills. In fact, my fantasy goes so far as massive income that I can invest in helping others. Such as funds for victims that are running from their abuser. There's nothing wrong with these fantasies. In fact, they can bring some delight to life, some, even some motivation. My fantasy of financial security and success, it motivates me to work harder so that maybe someday I can get there. My fantasy of being a star dancer, okay, that one's never going to come to life, all right? It, it, but it adds to my enjoyment when I go to social dances and I disconnect from the stress of life for a while. No, I don't work to be a top-rated dancer. That's never going to happen, so I'm very realistic about it but I certainly enjoy this hobby. My fantasy of being the hero, it reminds me of how much I do want to be there when others are in distress. It feeds my desire to help others, and it connects well with my desire to be physically fit, aware of my surroundings, surroundings and eager to act if needed. So the fantasies are not a problem. So where does this go too far? It goes too far when you're no longer rooted in reality and you're fooled by self-deception. 
Covert narcissists are fooled by self-deception. When the fantasy of financial success becomes an entitlement, I should be making more than that person is. I should be making more than this person is. No particular reason, just because I'm me. It's a jealousy of others who are successful while not recognizing the hard work that they've put in to get there. They don't see the hard work and think that, you know, well, maybe I should work harder. No, they just see what the other person got and they believe that they should have gotten it. And so they're mad or they're jealous of that person who got what they deserve. You know, my fantasies always just, they stayed inside of me. I knew they were just daydreams. They felt comforting and good, but I knew they weren't reality. I didn't actually expect the room to go still when I was a dancer on the floor. In fact, it would have terrified me. A narcissistic person expects the room to go still when they walk in or when they perform, whatever that looks like. They often believe that everyone is jealous of them and wants to be like them just because of who they are, not because of great time and effort into this skill or that skill. They don't seem to ever acknowledge how much work goes into succeeding at something. They don't see the effort. They only see what they didn't get and what they believe they deserve. Narcissists are really good at deceiving themselves. So it's really hard for them to distinguish between unrealistic fantasies and reasonable expectations in life. So if someone is driven to succeed, they believe in themselves and they're putting in the effort to get there, don't confuse this belief in themselves with narcissism. Yeah, again, maybe it's an adaptive narcissistic trait. It's a thing that I would maybe be able to label as narcissism as a narcissistic trait, not narcissism. It's okay if they fantasize about being incredibly successful someday. This might be driving them to do the work that they're doing. Another example of adaptive narcissism can be seen in the trait labeled as entitlement, a sense of entitlement. And if you've ever lived with a covert narcissist, you know what I'm talking about. Now, here's you, a victim of covert narcissism, emotionally beaten down, not allowed to matter, your feelings never having a voice. You know, I remember telling my dad one day, at some point, dad, my feelings have to matter. They just have to. As a human being, you are entitled to have your feelings matter. That should be there. You have a right to that. You have to own a little bit of that entitlement to even break free from the narcissists that are in your life. You have to kind of take that and run with it. And it can feel a little narcissistic. I have so many victims of abuse come to me and go, am I the narcissist here? But this entitlement, this standing up for your rights, your right to matter and for your feelings to matter, it's adaptive. It's productive. You have every right to have your feelings acknowledged and heard, and you need to own that. This is a perfect example of adaptive narcissism, and it's why so many victims of covert narcissistic abuse ask me if they are the narcissist. They tell me they certainly feel like one, and it's because they're finally standing up for themselves, finally claiming what is theirs, the right to be human, the right to have your feelings matter. This feels narcissistic to them because it is a trait that falls into the category of narcissistic traits. But not all narcissistic traits are bad. The right dose of them is productive and healthy. Now, when that entitlement goes too far, wow, it's a massive problem. 
What that entitlement, you know, it leads to I'm special and you must treat me differently, better than everyone else. And you must do this all the time. This is a problem. You know, it's a person that believes the rules don't apply to them. They're just entitled to whatever they feel like doing or saying at any point in time. And everyone else must make the accommodations around them. Now, this is a person who is exploiting and manipulating others. I'm entitled to my feelings and yours don't matter. I'm entitled to better treatment and you don't matter. This is maladaptive narcissism. It is detrimental to relationships. Now, adaptive narcissism, that's what I'm talking about. When you're just seeing all kinds of red flags all around you going, oh my word, everybody in this world has turned into a narcissist. No, they haven't. Adaptive narcissism in reasonable doses leads you to being self-sufficient, self-confident, believing in yourself, resilient, better able to cope, better able to protect yourself from being hurt by others. It leads you to taking care of yourself, putting time, energy, and effort into becoming a better person and believing that you deserve self-care and self-love. When combined with compassion and empathy, these adaptive narcissistic traits are quite healthy and productive. They help you through your teenage years to discover yourself, to become more self-reliant. They help you through separation from narcissistic parents to become self-reliant. And they help you through the separation from a narcissistic partner to become self-reliant. You know, I, I believe that narcissism lies on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum is, is extreme codependency, and on the other end is extreme narcissism. But in the middle, there's a healthy range. If, if extreme codependency is like one, two, three on the number scale, and narcissism is eight, nine, ten, in the middle is this range, four, five, six, and seven. Now that range, you know, it fluctuates, it fluctuates, it moves. It's a mixture of traits I would call codependent, like being willing to overlook the faults of others, giving people the benefit of the doubt doing more than your fair share of the work, and traits that I would call narcissistic, valuing your own opinion, acting on your own feelings, making your own decisions, and believing in yourself and your self-worth. Okay, that middle range has some of both. And it's a, good, it's a good place to be. It's a good balance. And one day you might you know, behave a, a little bit more codependent than another day. Another day you might behave a little more narcissistic. That doesn't make you a narcissist. Maladaptive codependency extreme codependency, maladaptive narcissism, extreme narcissism, neither one is productive in life. It's when your codependency lacks the ability to stand up for yourself and to know that you matter, to value yourself as an individual, or it's when the narcissism lacks compassion and empathy, the ability to care for someone outside of yourself or even to acknowledge them, to hear them, to see them, to value them. So when you see narcissistic traits in you, from dealing with a narcissistic partner of yours, yes, celebrate that. You're trying to pull yourself back into that middle range. Celebrate the new skills that you have built. Keep them in check. Keep them in check with the compassion that you have in your heart. But voice your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions. Don't feel guilty about taking care of yourself and taking time for you. You need to feel entitled to matter, to be heard. Reward yourself for developing these skills that are pulling you back into a balanced state of life. Acknowledge them. Treat yourself to a massage, dinner with a friend, a glass of wine. 
Now, you don't need these narcissistic traits all the time. Once you find some balance, you will learn to find your way through this, just like you don't want the codependent traits all the time. So learn when to turn them off or when to turn them on, when you need them, when you don't. That's awareness, that's education, and be proud of yourself. This time with the covert narcissist in your life was not wasted time. You're not starting over. You're just a turning point in your life, a turn towards a healthier and stronger you. I wish you so much peace on this journey of healing. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are CNG as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.